listening. A good Friday. Oh, a happy Friday to all of you. Thanks for joining us as always. It is much appreciated. What could a trade of Bill Belichick get the Patriots in return? Pro Football Focus had some thoughts on that recently. We will get to it in a minute. But first, our next podcast, Monday, will be live starting Monday, every weekday at 11 a.m. Eastern. We go live on YouTube. Give us that like, that thumbs up about that news. We go live starting Monday, every weekday, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. And can we get to 200 likes on a Friday? I checked this morning. We were like two away on yesterday's podcast from 200. Let's try to get to 200 likes today. All right, let's jump into this. Bill Belichick will have a trade market. I've talked about this. He will have some interest. There will be interest across the NFL in Bill Belichick for his services. In the latest example of this is actually Cam Newton. Cam Newton on his uh, fourth and one YouTube series. This was from Dakota Randall of Nesson earlier this week on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Here's what Newton said on his fourth and one YouTube series. I think David Tepper, owner of the Panthers, knowing what I do know, he's hoping that he can land Belichick. That right there will be a win-win-win for David Tepper. But why would Belichick even want to join the Panthers? Quote, the thing that I know would be the enticing lure to it is because Tepper will give him everything that he would need. And also that will allow Belichick to say, you know what? Things didn't work out with the Patriots. Now I can show you I can do it somewhere else. Now we've had the Washington rumors. We've had the Chargers stuff thrown out there. We hear about Carolina as well. Adam Schefter said on the Pat McAfee show earlier this week, we discussed it, that there will be, he thinks, seven to ten head coach openings in the NFL this offseason. That is a bunch. Seven to ten head coach openings, that's bananas. And let's not forget that just last year, Sean Payton was traded. And we know what Sean Payton's resume is. If Sean Payton is tradable, then so is Bill Belichick. But why would there be interest, you might ask me? Plenty of reasons. We have to take ourselves out of this New England bubble. We have to understand that the national reputation of Belichick, the national perception of Belichick, even in these last couple of years, is different than here in New England. They're not talking about Belichick in his his draft resume. They're not talking about Belichick mishandling Mac Jones as much as I think he did. They're not talking about those things. Most people that are football fans that are not Patriots fans, they look at Belichick as the guy who has won eight rings, highly respected throughout the league, has gigantic name value. You bring in Belichick, just his name puts Tukas's in seats. If you're an organization trying to sell to your fan base, that next guy, eight rings in what Belichick has accomplished throughout his NFL career, that's enough for most organizations. I'm telling you, I did national radio. I've worked in different markets. I can guarantee you that there are people right now that are Washington Commanders fans that are licking their chops at the idea of Bill Belichick being the next head coach. I can guarantee you that. And that goes for every other market that's looking for a head coach. Most of those markets, they're looking at Belichick much differently than we look at the guy. We look at post-Brady. We look at what he's done with this roster. We look at some of the in-game decisions on fourth down. Carolina Panthers fans are not dissecting Patriots games. They're not looking at last week's game saying, wait a minute, Bill Belichick decided to punt from the Giants' 37-yard line? That, that, was, the, that was the thought process? They're not thinking that. They're thinking Bill Belichick. 
the greatest coach of all time, we have a chance to land that guy. That's what they're thinking. So ticket sales. And let's not forget that the Patriots will also pay most of Belichick's contract likely moving forward through next year for whichever team decides to bring him in. If the commanders want to bring Belichick in, the Patriots can help offset some of the money that the commanders will pay Belichick on his new deal down in Washington, and the Patriots will get something in return for that. So let's look at this. If, if the Crafts and Belichick can mutually work out a trade, what's Belichick's value? Pro Football Focus wrote this recently. In a way, Belichick signing an extension this past offseason, remember that extension is through 2024. In a way, Belichick signing that extension this past offseason probably helps more than hurts. Whereas Denver had to sign Sean Payton to a top-of-market deal after acquiring his services. So that goes into this money idea. Sean Payton, when he got traded to Denver, Denver had to drop the Brinks truck right in front of his house and give him all the cash. Whoever brings in Belichick doesn't necessarily have to do that because of his existing contract with the Patriots. It will be cheaper financially to bring Belichick in than it was for Denver to bring Peyton in. And we all know that owners are always thinking about the money, the shkarol, right? So when you look at this, pro football focus is making the argument that Belichick's contract through next season actually helps the Patriots in their attempts of trading Belichick if that's what they want to do. Pro football focus continues We'd imagine a similar compensation package of a first-round pick and a day-two pick would be in play, even with Belichick being more than a decade older than Peyton. So Pro Football Focus says, look at the Sean Payton deal. Because Belichick's trade, if it happens, would have to be something similar to that. Yes, Belichick's almost a decade older than Sean Payton, but the resume, the contract through 2024, those also have to be discussed as why a team would be willing to trade for a Bill Belichick. If you're wondering, Sean Payton was traded to Denver along with a 2024 third-round pick. And in return, the Saints got a 2023 first and a 2024 second. So what would those deals look like? If you're the Patriots and you're trying to map this all out and you're looking at teams that need a new head coach and you're looking at teams that might be desperate to bring in a Bill Belichick. What would the hypothetical deals look like going off of that Sean Payton trade a year ago? Here are three theoretical deals. Okay. Ready? Washington. Now, if it's a first this year and it's a second next year, you're looking at the fifth pick in the draft, a 2025 second round pick for Belichick and a third round pick next year. If it's the Chargers, we've discussed the Chargers before. That right now would be the ninth pick in the draft to go along with a 25-second-round pick for Belichick and a 25-third. If it was Tampa, Tampa's been mentioned. Jason Light has links with the Patriots, has links with Belichick, brought in Tom Brady. If Jason Light and the Glazer family down there in Tampa want to bring Belichick in, Tampa right now is sitting at the seventh pick. So it would be the seventh pick, a second-round pick next year for Bill in a 2025-third. Now, I do not think, I do not think any team is going to be willing to trade a top 10 pick for Bill Belichick. So those theoretical deals going off a of pro football focus, I think we can throw those in the garbage. 
I don't think you're getting the fifth pick from Washington. I don't think you're getting the ninth pick from the from the uh, Chargers. I don't think you're getting the seventh pick from the Buccaneers. I think we can erase that from the thought process. I just don't see a team trading a top 10 pick for Belichick. I just don't see it. Way too much value in a pick like that to deal for a coach, even if it's Belichick. I don't think that would happen. But what if you could flip the order? And what I mean by that is Sean Payton was traded to Denver for a first-round pick that draft and a second-round pick the next year. What if you flipped it? What if teams were willing to give you a second-round pick this year in a 2025 first-round pick? Would you be willing to deal with those teams if you were the Crafts? When you look at Washington and Carolina, specifically those two teams, right now if the season ended, those two teams would have a top-five pick in the second round. Carolina would have the top pick in the second round. If you're the Patriots and you're looking at this landscape and you say to yourself, we're going to finish with the top three pick. What if you had the first pick in the second round and the third pick in the second round to go along with your own pick in the first round? That's top three. Would that work for you? Would you think about that? What if you get a top five second round pick this year and then you got a 2025 first round pick? and you would trade Belichick in a 2025 third-round pick. I would do that. I would absolutely do that, especially if you know Belichick is walking. If Belichick is not going to be here, and I think all of us at this point believe that Belichick won't be here. Now, you might want him to stay there here. I know some people want him to still be here in New England next year. But I think all of us looking at this situation right now would agree that Belichick, unless there's a crazy turnaround and they run off these last six games, and for some reason we're looking at an eight and, and nine team, I don't think he's coming back. I don't think there's much chance of that happening. So I would absolutely take a top five pick in the second round and a first round pick next year and trade Belichick in a third next season. I would do that trade. If you, if you pulled the trigger on that trade with Washington or Carolina, you would have three three of the top 35 picks in the draft, three in the top 35. You could address quarterback. You could address wide receiver. You could address left tackle. Bing, bang, boom. You would be done with the three most crucial positions you need to fill. You could be done filling those three positions by the early part of the second round. And then you could move on to other pieces. What if you could end up with your quarterback of the future, number one wide receiver of the future, and left tackle of the future by, what is it, Friday 8.30 Eastern time? Doesn't that sound good? I know people are thinking first-round pick, first-round pick, first-round pick. What if you got that first-round pick next year and said, we're not going to sit here and haggle over price that much. Give us your second rounder this year. We'll take your second this year. We'll take your first next year. Three picks in the top 35 if you pull a trade like that off with Washington or Carolina. To me, that's incredible. Three picks in the top 35? That is fantastic. That sets you up to start to change this team. That sets you up to make this team much more talented. 
And do you think Washington and Carolina, do you think those teams would have a miraculous one-year turnaround? What's the best that Belichick will get out of those two teams? If we're talking about those two, what's the best? Washington, what, seven wins, eight wins, nine wins? You could still get a top 10, top 15 pick next year. So if you get three picks in the top 35 this year and you end up getting a top 10 to 15 pick next season, that is absolutely worth it. Two firsts in 25? You would have three picks in the top 35 to play with this season, which means you could move up into the late first round by using one of those second round picks. You could easily trade your pick at 35 or 36, whatever it would be. You could easily trade that pick and a pick later on to move up to pick 30, 29, and you would still have Carolina's pick at the top of the second round. It would give you fluidity. It would give you options. And I've said this, the Patriots are in a spot right now as they, as they try to walk into this offseason with a lot of moves to make. You want as many options as possible. Having three picks in the top 35 gives you options. You can move around the board. You can move up for two first-round picks. You can move up to land your future quarterback and gain that fifth-year option on his rookie deal. And you would still have two first-round picks next year to mess around with as well. You can move down. You can move up. If you don't get the quarterback this year that you love, you'd have two first-round picks next year to move up and maybe get that guy. Maybe you love Shadur Sanders. Maybe that's your dude. Maybe you wait until next year, try to make that move up. The idea is that you have options. You have ammo. So I'd be all for it. Robert Kraft, embarrassed yesterday. We'll tell you why in a minute. Don't forget to like this video. 200 likes is the goal. What do you think about my thoughts regarding a possible trade of Bill Belichick using that pro football focus trade value right up recently? Do, do you agree with me? Would you take three picks in the top 35? Would you take that second-round pick from Washington or Carolina along with the first next year and pull the trigger on that deal? 200 likes. More thumbs means more eyeballs. We build this community. I am a one-man band. Don't forget to comment and subscribe as well. All right, quickly, a couple things quickly, and then I want to get to some Red Sox news, the latest on Shohei Otani and Yamamoto. We'll get to that in a little while. But back to the Patriots here for a few minutes. The Patriots, we all know by now, they were flexed out of Monday Night Football. That game against the Kansas City Chiefs has been moved to Sunday at 1 p.m. And this is embarrassing for Robert Kraft. And I've heard some people say, well, yeah, it might be embarrassing, Nick, but this could end up being a favor. Even if it's a favor, because the, the theory, the favor theory, is that the Patriots won't have to get embarrassed on national television. And that makes sense. What if Mahomes comes into you know New England and waxes you by three or four touchdowns? It, it would be awful for this organization, right? But even if it's a quote-unquote favor, it's still embarrassing. It's still embarrassing, no matter how you want to slice this. Again, I think some people are focused on the why. I'm focused on the what. Whether this game was flexed out because the Patriots wanted a favor or the league was doing a favor for Robert Kraft and Belichick and they did not want the Patriots possibly embarrassed on national TV or it was just, yeah, nobody's going to want to watch this game. We feel like this is a mess. We feel like we have to move this game out of that Monday night spot this late in the year. 
Patriots don't have a chance. They suck. They're done. Whatever it is, whatever the why is, the embarrassing part is the what. The Patriots have been flexed out of Monday night. If if this was done as a quote-unquote favor, then that means the Patriots are so bad that they were desperate to have the league give them that favor. You never want to be in that spot. <laughs> like last time I checked, you don't want the NFL out of sympathy or pity saying, all right, yeah, okay, Robert, we'll move you. Let's move them. The fact you're in that place that you would need that favor is the point here, folks. Let's not get lost in the why. Let's look at the what. This is the first Monday Night Football flexed in history. And yes, it's the first time they can do it this season. But it still sets an ugly precedent. You are still going to be the first Monday Night Football game ever flexed out of that spot. That's embarrassing. We know owners, man. This is a primetime game. Owners are about status, right? They want their brand to shine. They're all about what people think about them. They want to be in those primetime games. They want to be in those big-time spots. That's why Kraft doesn't hate going to Germany. He wants to expand the brand into Europe. That, that's the way that you think when you are an owner of a football team. So this is about status. This is about the team brand, and this is damaging to that. I mean, think about this. They flexed out of this game, even though you're playing against Patrick Mahomes, the premier talent in the game, the premier name in the NFL. You know the NFL doesn't want to flex Patrick Mahomes out of Monday night? But they did. Because you stink. And that's embarrassing. All right. Before we get to our pick coming up for Sunday and some of that Red Sox latest with Otani and Yamamoto, here's what I want to look for on Sunday. This is what we should be watching for, okay? If you're going to watch this game, and I think many of you are going to watch this game, the ratings are still good for the Patriots. People love football. First things first, offensive play calling last week. What will the Patriots do on Sunday with Bailey Zappi? Will they be super conservative again? Or because Zappi is getting the snaps as QB1 this week, will they open it up a little bit? Evan Lazar, Patriots.com, he posted on social media this week that Zappi's average target depth of 1.1 yards, brutal, versus the Giants was the third lowest for a quarterback in a game since 2016. The average target depth was the third lowest for a quarterback in seven years for Bailey Zappi on Sunday. Will the Patriots open it up? We had Phil Perry on the show yesterday. If you missed it, I absolutely suggest you go check out that podcast. Had a great time with Phil. He does awesome work. Phil compared it to the wind game. He said, are we going to witness a wind game for the Patriots? Is, is this running the ball 55, 60 times? Having Bailey Zappi throw it 10 to 15 times, and when he throws it, everything is super short. Everything is sideways. I would expect lots of play action. Zappi has been really good in play action. He was really good in play action last year especially, so I would expect O'Brien to call more play action on Sunday. Thinking about the wind game and what Phil Perry said, I think this has to be a Stevenson and Zeke Elliott game. And what hasn't made sense to me the last two games we've witnessed 
This happened both times against the Colts in Germany. Bill O'Brien finally realized that they could run on that defense in the second half, and they did, and their offense looked different, and they were pounding the football. Same thing happened against the Giants. We talked about it on Monday. For some reason, that is beyond reason to me. Bill O'Brien called for 21 pass attempts in 12 runs before the final run of the first half, which I don't really count. That thing was over. He called for 21 passes and 12 runs against the 30th-ranked defense in the NFL against the run. And then in the second half, they ran the football, and they especially ran the football more on first down in the second half than they did in the first half, and the offense was different. They come out of the halftime locker room, and right away they score a touchdown because they run the football down their throat. Run the football down their throat with a few screens, a few wide receiver bubble screens. Next thing you know, they're hitting pay dirt. So why did it take? a full half of football for Bill O'Brien to figure this out in the last two games. Start on Sunday with the run. Run the football from the first snap to the last snap. That's what they should be doing. The run game is good right now. Taylor Kyles from CLNS posted this on X slash Twitter. The Patriots went from the league's worst rushing offense by EPA from week five, one to five, weeks one to five, to ranking third behind the Ravens and Lions since week six, when City So became the top right guard. Since week six, this has been one of the best run games in football. Stevenson has looked like a different guy since week six. We said that. He, he, he got his juice back. Looked like a different dude. He's been one of the only highlights about this offense. Maybe the only highlight of this offense over the last couple of weeks. Sprinkled in with some Pop Douglas from time to time. So your run game is good right now. Run the freaking football. Back to Evan Lazar on Patriots.com. He wrote, since week six, Stevenson is averaging 3.68 yards after contact per rush attempt. That's the seventh best in football, which is more on par with his breakout second season a year ago when he averaged 3.81. Stevenson is now gaining 1.6 yards before contact per rush compared to 0.6 average in the first five weeks. So the line, yes, the line is doing much better. The line is doing its job. It's not get the football and immediately get hit by somebody. And this is a good matchup. The Chargers 19th in opponents rushing yards per carry, over four yards a carry against them, 14th in rushing yards per game. Lazar writes that since 2021, when Brandon Staley took over in LA, Chargers ranked 31st in expected points added against the run and are in the bottom half of the league once again this season, 21st. Not a good run defense. Run the football. Third thing I'm watching for, Justin Herbert versus Belichick. 50% completion percentage, two touchdowns, four picks. His passer rating is 52.8. He has lost both games against the Bill Belichick Patriots that he has started. So Belichick has success against Justin Herbert. Will that continue on Sunday? Can New England's defense limit big plays? That goes hand-in-hand hand with the last point. Have to make sure that you are disciplined. Linebackers against Austin Eckler, very tough challenge. That dude is incredibly talented. Justin Herbert, extending plays. You have to make sure that you have none of these missed tackles we've seen. You can't blow coverages. And J.C. Jackson, will he continue to be awful? Because he's been awful. And can the Patriots eliminate Khalil Mack? There's no Joey Bosa. Can you eliminate 
Khalil Mack from this game. Mack's been great this season. 13 sacks, 54 pressures. Can you take him out of the game? Or is Khalil Mack going to have a Micah Parsons-like performance from earlier this year when you allowed Micah Parsons to destroy you? All right, our game pick coming up and some big Red Sox news as well. But don't forget, we're going live on Monday on the YouTube channel, 11 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, every weekday. We're going live, baby. Give us that thumbs up. We're looking for 200 likes on today's show. Like, comment, and subscribe. So the line in this game, and if you're wondering, I'm now 5-6 and six against the spread this year. Last year, I think I was like, I was 15-2 and two last year against the spread. This year... Hey, it is what it is. Five and six against the spread. Chargers minus five and a half is the line. The over-under is 40 and a half. My edict from weeks ago, I'm standing by that. I said I would bet against the Patriots until they win on the field. I'm going with the Chargers minus five and a half. I would take the under with so many unknowns regarding the Patriots offense. All right, let's get into the Red Sox news before we uh, wrap this up and walk into our weekend. Hopefully all of you have a great weekend. Jeff Passan, ESPN reporting that the Red Sox have turned their focus away from Shohei Otani. I'm not surprised by this. If you've watched this podcast consistently, you know that I've said Shohei Otani should not be the number one target. Otani should not be the guy that the Red Sox are looking at and drooling and saying, we have to get that guy by any means necessary. And I understand Otani's greatness. There's no denying that dude is unfreaking believable. I get it. But the number one priority for this baseball team this offseason is pitching. You don't know if Otani's going to pitch ever again. You don't know if he's going to pitch two years from now, three years from now. You have no idea. He's definitely not going to pitch in 2024. Your number one priority, your number one weakness on this roster is front of the rotation pitching. Otani does not fill that void for you. He just doesn't. So with that in mind, you can't put Otani at the top of your list. Look, you're not going to sign Otani and Yamamoto. You're not going to sign Otani to a gigantic contract and then spend money on another gigantic contract. Red Sox, yes, they should spend. They need to spend. They haven't spent in the last couple of years nearly as much as they have done before then when they were actually winning World Series. So they have to spend. I'm with you on that. Henry has to put the money where his mouth is. But they're not going to spend $600, $700 million this offseason. It's unreasonable. So it's about how you allocate the resources that you have. That's what's important here. Pitching is number one. The other part of the Otani contract is you're going to pay him around $400 million you're going to be paying this guy a ton of money when he's 36, 37, 38 years old. Another thing to keep in mind. All right, so that's the Otani piece. Passon also wrote that the Red Sox were, quote, among the favorites to land Yamamoto. Yoshinobu Yamamoto is looking at the Red Sox thinking, I might want to go there. The Red Sox are among the favorites. My message to the Red Sox, my message to John Henry, Craig Breslow, anybody who wants to listen to this, my message is run through the tape for Yamamoto. Close the deal. Finish it up. Lock it up. Put it in a headlock. Whatever you want to do. Put it in a vault. Whoop. 
run through the table, finish the job. If you're among the favorites, become the favorite. Do whatever you have to do to bring in Yamamoto. You are desperate for a true ace. You are desperate for that guy that could be your number one. And Yamamoto has front of the rotation stuff. Three straight Japanese Cy Young Awards. Three straight. Throws 94 to 98. Has secondary stuff. Changes speeds on his secondary stuff. Good control. All of those things. And, and he's 25 years old. How many times do you have an opportunity to land a guy with ace stuff, with that kind of resume? And I understand Japanese baseball different than here in the States. I get it. And I understand that Japanese offense, not as strong as it has been in prior years versus this year, the last couple of years. But I'm talking stuff. Read everything. I, I've read everything I can about Yamamoto. Read what scouts have to say. Almost every single scout agrees that he's better than Sanga. Almost every scout believes this guy is, if he's not a number one, he's at worst a number two. The stuff translates. You throw 94 to 98, you throw 94 to 98. You throw the curveball that he throws that just drops right down, holds it differently as well. Get a little bit of a different grip on the curve. The changing of the speeds, the control, the track record. I mean, everybody that I read, everybody that I listen to, everybody that I watch says that this guy is can't miss. Does it mean he's going to be a, a guaranteed stud? Of course not. You always leave the slight chance, right? But across the game, people agree that this guy, this guy is a dude. And he's 25 years old. He's 25. How many times are you going to have the chance to land somebody with his talent at the front of the rotation and they're 25 years old? Doesn't happen. Guys get locked up until they're 28, 29, 30 years old. You can give him an eight-year deal. He's still in his early 30s when the deal's coming up. Yamamoto should be the number one target. Run through the tape, finish the job, bring that guy to Boston. All right, that'll do it on this Friday. Everybody have a great, safe, fun weekend. I'm going to have a fun weekend. Of course, college football championship weekend starting tonight with Washington and Oregon. If you're you know, a Patriots fan, you're wondering about quarterbacks, Bo Nix tonight against Penix. You can watch that. So it should be a great weekend. Everybody enjoy yourself. We'll be back on Monday live at 11 a.m. right here on YouTube. It's the Nick Cattle Show.